Well, good morning and welcome to uh, East Lake. We're glad that you're here. You guys, you should be camping right now. What are you even doing here? Um, uh, no, we're so honored that you would uh, take time out of a busy weekend. Lots of different options this weekend, and many of you don't even work tomorrow. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to start a series on work, and what better time to talk about work uh, than a, a weekend where Monday many of you aren't working, and then also for those of you who are in the school system stuff, you're about to be out of work for a few months, which is awesome. Uh, and all, all, the, uh, all the rest of us who work all year long are like, we're so proud of you. We're so thankful for you. We're so excited for you. So um, all of that kind of plays together into this. And, our, and we got high school kids and junior high kids who are like, you're going to be all home all summer long looking for things to do. Uh, and so what better time to be able to talk about the idea of the art of labor. So we're starting a brand new series today. I've invited a friend because labor has all kinds of connotations to it. And there's going to be a verse that he's going to talk about how work is toil and all this kind of stuff and, and vanity of vanities and, and laboring under the sun and all of the, the things, the, the verses in Ecclesiastes about hating work, hating work, hating work. Um, and I love my job. So I had to go find somebody who hated their job to come and talk to me. So I brought my friend Seth with me. Um, Seth and I have been friends for, uh, we were talking about the other day, I think it's about nine to ten years. We were both doing youth, youth ministry at the time. He was over in Richland and I was in Pasco. And we would occasionally get together and be like, dude, does your job suck as much as mine? Are kids the worst? Kids the worst. And then we go back to our youth groups and do our things. Um, since then, he has moved to Denver and has gotten into the, uh, like a, we call him a secular job. So not in church ministry anymore. So somebody who was on this side of things uh, got to like do all of this and then now is out there. And I can't think of a better person to have a perspective on integrating spiritual life and work uh, than my friend Seth. So please, would you welcome with me, Mr. Seth Hansen, everybody. Awesome. Thanks. Uh... Brent, um, for giving all of my slides away in the first four minutes. Um, done. I guess we can just wrap it up. Uh, happy early Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, I've been, uh, been friends with Brent for a long time. I enjoy just watching him invest his life into this church, and it's been awesome to be a cheerleader and encourager of him. Um, I've been able to help be a part of different things here at Eastlake throughout the years, I've preached a couple of times, I've helped paint walls, I've done some different things, and so now I'm, I'm watching Eastlake from afar. Uh, we've moved to Colorado uh, about four years ago now, and uh, we're loving Colorado's home. Um, it, it's really, it's beautiful. It's not quite as beautiful as the Tri-Cities, but, you know, we try to make it, make a go of it. Um, you know, <laughs> concerts at Red Rocks just don't uh, approach the fingernail. Um, so we're, we're getting by in Colorado, but, but it is fun to still be a part of East Lake from afar and encourage Brent as much as I can. And I get the East, East Lake, um, weekly email and I really appreciate getting to see that. I love seeing that drinks and drinks is still a thing. Encourage you to be a part of that. If you haven't done that before, it's just really a cool deal. Um, and then as I was looking at it this week, Brent did call me Dr. Seth Hansen. And then he's like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm kidding. He's not really a doctor. And I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD. Um, but I do have a master's degree. So going forward, Brent, just go ahead and call me master. Um, that would just be awesome. I mean, that, that really, I mean, let's keep it on the level. I don't want to be too much, you know. I just want you to approach me as you should. Um, so that's all. Um, but it is good. Uh, it is, it's been an interesting season. As I have transitioned, as I was um, promoted from pastor to parishioner, uh, and uh, was no longer in ministry, 
and we moved back to Colorado, and I didn't have this aching on my heart to go find a job in, in a church just so I could have a job. And so I wrestled with what to do next. My first step, I was uh, downtown as a valet in Denver, Colorado, parking um, amazing cars and um, watching people spend $1,000 on dinner. And I'm like this you know, 38-year-old, 40-year-old guy just going to where where do these people get this money and where can I get it? So uh, finally, after months of job searching, uh, found an actual uh, job in a place called John's Manville and we make insulation. Uh, it's a pretty cool deal. We also do uh, commercial roofing, which I guess you guys need one of. I'll see if I can ship it up here. Uh, I oversee just some customer service. That's what I do. And it's just interesting to wrestle through this and wonder why, why do I do what I do? Why do I come into work um, make, helping people get this insulation? And I know I'm not alone in that. I know the people I work with are wondering the same thing. Monday morning walks in, you know, you walk into Monday morning and everybody's got a case of the Mondays and they're like, why am I here? I hate my life. And it's, it reminds me of middle school. Like when you were in like middle school and high school, like your job as a student is to hate school, right? Like you might really like school, but you can't tell anybody else that you like school. Like we are, it's ingrained in us to hate our station in life. And so we can get into a cycle where everything feels worthless, feels vain. And uh, I think that goes for all of us. Some of us in this room are working at Lowe's or PNNL or Energy Northwest, self-employed, construction. You walk into your job on a regular basis and go, Why? Like, why, why do I do this? Like, I'm just, you know, turning a switch on and giving people power. I'm, you know, I, I create these things and nobody notices. I, you know, I'm stocking shelves. Like, why do I do this? And there's a lot of pain and angst every Monday when you walk in or when, you, you know, whenever your week starts. And, but some of us have more noble jobs. Some of us are teaching or in ministry and And you're like, wow, I thought this was going to be so much more valuable. I thought I was going to be changing lives and things would happen and and lives would be changed and and people would be excited about me. And and I'd teach and, you know, I would see the future of America grow and develop, but it's not happening. I had a hope that, you know, like I watched Dead Poets Society or Stand and Deliver and, you know, I'm my student's best friends and I changed the world and I upset the entire school system and... They carry me off on their shoulders as they say, oh, captain, my captain, this is it. And then you get into it, and you're like, this sucks, I hate it, right? My wife, she's teaching right now, and she uh, has spent the entire year pouring her life in, into students' lives, and, and she's excited about them, and she really thinks she's made some connections. And then at the end of the year, they start getting squirrely and not paying attention and not doing what she's asked them to do. And she was just so frustrated the other day. And so she goes and talks to one of her co-teachers and she says, man, I can't believe it. They won't pay attention. They won't listen. They won't do what I've asked them to do. And I don't know why. I've made this deep connection with them throughout the course of the year. I thought that we had something and they would respect me. And she goes, her coworker says, you know what? They only connected with you because they could get something out of the relationship. They didn't really care about truly connecting with you. And my wife was just disheartened, right? And I think that happens. All of us, it doesn't matter. You might step into a job and for the first two or three years, like this is magical. This is what I was created to do. I'm, I love it. I love doing this, this, and this. But there's something missing after a couple of years. You get a new boss and they have a new direction and they want to do this instead. And you're struggling and going, why? This isn't a new thing for us to consider. 
This has been going on for thousands of years. And we have a gift in a book out of the Old Testament of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes was written by a very rich poet, which I guess 3,000 years ago you could be rich and a poet. I don't know. It's not that way anymore. So he was, a, he was a rich poet, and, he, and so he had accomplished a lot of things. He had accumulated great wealth. He had servants. He had all, all these great situations, huge house and all this stuff, and he was still wondering, what is the value of what I do? And so he's asked the same thing. And so uh, Ecclesiastes 2.17 says, So I hated life because the work that it is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We find ourselves saying something similar to this. We get in our car at the end of a Wednesday afternoon with a tough day with your boss, and, and you drive home and go, why? Why am I doing this? I feel like I'm chasing after the wind. You haven't maybe said these exact words, but you've had that sentiment in your heart. You're like, I've been at this job for 20 years, and nobody's recognized me. And so you question, like, why do I do what I do? How, why am I working? And you come down to some conclusions. Maybe it's like, I, I bust my butt so I can buy my boat, so I can give to my church. Brent told me to say that. Um, and then I die. Like, that's why I work. That's why I do what I do. How pointless is that? How meaningless is that? If we think of the pursuing of, of why we work, we, we can think that maybe it's for growing and learning or pleasure to what we can achieve or accumulate. And we want to have achievements, like people recognizing us and giving us applause. And, and so we sit there and we ponder these things, but even those things are fleeting. What we learn, our brain isn't as sharp when we're 75. We can't remember all the things that we learned. The pleasures that we worked so hard to gain, we can't fully enjoy anymore because our, our ability to water ski lingers. We're getting older. I don't know if you knew that. Like I'm, now, now I know I'm old because like I like hurt myself sleeping. Like last week, it was like, dude, what happened? I don't know. So my ability to enjoy and appreciate pleasures isn't as, as, um, as great as it once was. And it's fleeting as a chasing after the wind. My achievements, you know, even if I gain something today, it will just wash away tomorrow. Somebody will do something better than I have ever done it. One of the most famous statements of Ecclesiastes is, comes at the very end of the poem, and it's 12.8. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And so we can get heaped on with this overwhelming burden of worthlessness and hopelessness and wondering, what can I bring to the table? What value of my efforts is there? So I think there are some things for us to consider. I want to throw a question out to you as we consider these three things that we can work with in the midst of our struggling with the vanity of our efforts. And that question is, is it your job or the perception of your job that needs to change? Is it your job or the perception of your job that needs to change? As you have this employment, as you are in a job, some of you might be in between jobs. Some of you might be retired wondering, what do I do now? Some of you might uh, be striving to gain a job. You're in school right now and you'll one day work. But we'll all be wrestling with this, what is the value of my efforts? And when we do that, I want you to consider is it my job or my perception of my job that needs to change? And here are the three things that we can think through as we work through this Ecclesiastes. When work sucks, and it will, serve in your strengths, serve others, and serve the work. Serve in your strengths, serve others, serve the work. So let's look at our first point. Serve in your strengths. 
when you were thinking and pondering about the job that you were going to get, more likely than not, you had a couple of things in mind. Largely, it was how much can I make in this job? Or how am I going to look at my 20th high school reunion? How are people going to look at me? When I connect with an old high school friend on LinkedIn, will they be amazed at my job or will they be disappointed in my job? And so that's the mindset we go into. The drive of the American dream, perhaps. Instead of thinking, what am I good at? Where are my strengths? How can I apply my strengths and do something within my strengths? So because some of those decisions were made for you or for me, you get into a situation in which you have these financial obligations. You have a mortgage. You have a car payment. You have kids and their activities. And you're like, I need to maintain this level of income even though I hate my job. So what can I do in the midst of this financial prison I've created for myself? Or I'm not ready to make that shift yet. I don't hate my job too much, but I'd like to like it a little bit more. How can I love my job more? And so the challenge is to serve in your strengths. How do you serve in your strengths in the midst of your job? So as I told you, I do customer service. I work at Johns Manville and I do customer service. My job is to execute the fulfillment of 75 to 100 trucks a month. Full of insulation, the stuff that you put in, your, in the walls of your house or in industrial settings, and I ship those around the country, and that is my job. And in that, I have an expectation that I will hit 98% accuracy. It can be exhausting to strive for that. And I can be disappointed in it because I have customers who like to hate me. And I have to deal with them and I have to make them happy. I have to come up with jokes to satisfy them in the midst of the fact that their truck is going to be late. And they don't understand that four feet of snow is a viable reason for a truck to be a day late. So I have to walk through that, right? And so what can I do in this job that can be overwhelming and difficult for me? I can serve in my strengths. And so I want to see not 98%, I want to see 100%. I want to see perfection. I can strive for that. And when I hit that for a week and I get 100% right, I can find joy in that. Because I am a problem solver and I am a, a one of my strengths would be a, a project finisher. I like to start things, I like to finish them. I like to remodel things, I like to re, refinish things. So I can strive for that, and I can see that as a, as a joy in the midst of this job that sometimes feels pointless to me. I don't actually drive the truck across country. I don't see it actually get delivered. But there's another thing I really like to do. I like to teach. I like to, I like to develop. I like to invest in people. I like to make people better and smarter in, in their current role. And so I've reached out to my managers, and I've said, where can I fit in where I can do some teaching and developing? And, and they've given me opportunities. And that's been a great joy for me. And so I push into you and I say, what are your strengths? And some of you might look at me and go, my, where my strengths lie, I can't do what I, I can't use those strengths in my job. I'm actually disheartened on a regular basis. And for you, you might look at me right now and say, I'm walking off the set when I walk into work on Tuesday. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to work in my job anymore. I've been convinced that I need to work in my strengths. My manager won't allow me to. He won't encourage me to. All he tells me to do is just stay in your lane. 
and it might be time for you to move on. So is your job the wrong thing or is it your perception? Because maybe you have never thought about utilizing your strengths in your job. You've never talked to your manager. You've never found avenues for you to use your strengths in your job. I'm always wrestling with that. Like, how can I enjoy work better by working in my strengths? There's, there's a lot more joy in that. So I push into you that question. Is it your job or the perception of your job? That's our first point. Serve in your strengths. The second thing is this. <clears throat> serve others. When you're in a job and you're like, why do I do what I do? How can you serve others? Obviously, I have the opportunity to do customer service. I can serve people that way. But this is a great thing for us to consider out of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better for a person that he should find enjoyment in his toil. That's what we want, right? We want to enjoy our work. We want our job to be not something that we dread on Monday. My wife has a, we have like one of those cute little black reader boards with white letters that you put in, you know, and so she, she put up this cute thing. It's like, the hardest day after a weekend is the first five, right? <laughs> How can we make it where we can enjoy it? When we walk in on Monday, we go, I get to be here. And if we serve others, not necessarily in customer service, obviously that's an opportunity, but also um, serving, serving the people that you work with. So I, I think about how can you, how can you serve others? I'm trying to, I was trying to think of a great opportunity, a great example of, of serving, something that we can all relate to, something we all connect with. And I think of serving at Red Robin, right? Maybe you've never served in a restaurant, I think everybody in their life sometimes should have to serve at least for a week. Can I get an amen to that? Like, seriously, right? So everybody should serve, but some, some people actually have had to serve at, at Red Robin. And you think about serving at Red Robin, and I think you can have a couple of different perspectives. Like, some people, when they think about serving at Red Robin, they think of that Saturday night, showing up to work at 4 p.m., Everything's fine. All the tables are clean. All the napkins are wrapped around all the forks. All the cups are stacked up. Everything's great. It's going to be a phenomenal day. I'm going to kill it. Then you fast forward to 9 p.m. Or about, what, 6.30, right? You've got seven tables. Those are all your tables. Somebody calls in sick. Now you've got 12 tables. You've got a lobby full of a bunch of people, most of which are kids screaming because they're hungry. You know they're coming to your table as soon as you turn a table. And you want them all to, at minimum, leave, right? <laughs> right? But it can be a different of a perspective. You can look at it and say, these people have worked hard. These people are exhausted. These people have had a long week. These people want to celebrate family together. They've been maybe making meals all week, Monday through Friday, and now Saturday night they have an opportunity to go out and spend some time. And so you can look at those people as an opportunity to serve them and say, what do I get to bring to the table? How can I make their life better and their family better with this meal right now? See, here's the deal. I think there are truly, really, in all honesty, there are people out there, I, I, I want to find them, I want to interview them, that truly enjoy getting seven or eight of their coworkers together to sing happy birthday. <laughs> and what is it about them? Like, what do they bring to the table where they have changed their perspective instead of like, I have to sing happy birthday to this family that's been screaming the entire time to going, this is an opportunity for me to give life to this family and an opportunity for them to have rest. I'm going to serve them. 
How can we look at our jobs differently? Is it, it, it might be too late for you. You might say, I am actually working at Red Robin right now and I hate everything about it, I need to leave. And you need to, that's okay, admit that, walk through that and walk off the set. But some of you in this room say, you just need to change your perspective. Is it your job that needs to change or is it your perspective of your job that needs to change? Whatever it is, if it's Lowe's, if it's PNNL, if it's, if it's selling used cars, whatever it is, how can you see it as an opportunity to serve others? When work sucks and we see an opportunity to serve others, there is some value that comes back to our job. It becomes more than just, am I making money, but it's an opportunity to serve others. So that's our our second point, when work sucks. Our third point is this, serve the work. Again, let's go back to the verse that we looked at in Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better for a person that he should find enjoyment in his toil. As we're striving to find enjoyment in our toil, as we think about serving in our strengths, as we think about serving in our um, serving others, as we step into s- diving in and caring for others, there's a warning that's in there. There's an author, her name is Dorothy Sayers, and she was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. She was writing fiction during the midst of, in between the wars, World War I and World War II, before World War II ended. She was very concerned about the fact that all these men who were fighting on the front lines as the war was going to come to an end, and she knew that these men who had nothing but incredible purpose, no more purpose ever than fighting a war, right, were going to come home to jobs of menial life for the most part. And so she had an opportunity to write into that and say, what can we do to help these men strive and work well? And women, I'm not just saying that men were, the, I mean, there were a lot of women involved too. So as they were coming back from the front lines and they were getting involved in, into their life, what could we do? And so she wrote a, a paper on that and it's a brilliant paper, but as she was talking about serving others, she said, there's a warning here that we need to think about. The moment you only think of serving other people, you begin to have a notion that other people owe you something for your pains. You begin to think that they have a claim, that you have a claim on the community. You will begin to bargain for reward, to angle for applause, and to harbor a grievance if you are not appreciated. But if your mindset is set upon serving the work, then you know you have nothing to look for. The only reward the work can give you is the satisfaction of Beholding is perfection. The work takes all and gives nothing but itself. And to serve the work is a labor of pure love. So we need to be careful when we serve others, when we take care of that table well, when we serve that customer well, when we serve other co-employees that we're working with and help them out when they're having a tough time at home and they have to leave early and you have to cover their stuff. We can expect them to pay us back when they give, it, give us when we do something nice for them, that they'll tip us extra, extra amount of money because we gave an extra scoop of ice cream on that free Sunday that we gave them. We can have these high expectations on others. And Dorothy says, be careful because that can ruin it. That can take something that you found joy in and actually make you hate people and harbor anger against others. And she says, serve the work. What can you do to serve the work? What can you do to make your work better? A couple of things I can think of. You can create systems. You can find better ways to do the things that you do and share that with those around you. Hey, I have found that if I do it this way, 
then we can actually be more efficient and we can find more opportunities for taking a break. Don't want to be that know-it-all. Don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that girl that tells everybody how to do everything that they ever did. But at the same time, you can bring things to the table. You can say, this is something that I found. Did you know that our computer system will do this if we click on this button instead of that button? Did you know that if we go in and we create this situation, then we'll actually be able to serve our customers better and we'll be able to actually enjoy our work more? You can create better systems within your environment and find ways to care for others. The other thing that you can do is create culture. What can you do to create an environment in which people want to come in? You probably dread going to work, but if you find a way to make work more enjoyable for others, then you might actually enjoy walking into work. What can you do on Monday morning as Dwight, as Sue, as Steve walk in? How can you make them excited about being there? And that gives you purpose. You don't like the menialness of your job, so do something outside of that and create an environment where people are excited to be there. I've realized that if we don't uh, act like we hate our job, other people actually enjoy being around us more. And we have a culture in which you're supposed to hate your job until you die, right? That's just the way it works, unless you're Brent. I guess he's like the only person that like, enjoys his job. But even Brent, I bet, has a couple of, there are some days where he's like, this sucks, right? When he spent half of his life refinishing this place, and like, I think, what, you worked like an hour on a sermon every week, like, Sunday morning at like 7.30 because you were too busy like painting this entire facility. Those days weren't necessarily the best. We all have times where they're hard. And so we can hate our jobs, but if we create an environment where others want to be in it and enter into it, it can be way more exciting. So when we're talking about work, as Brent's doing a four-week series on, you know, three more weeks after this on work, we can talk about work and we can be excited about work and we can feel invigorated and and excited to go out into the workforce and do things and work harder, I want to challenge you and I want to caution you that we can get overwhelmed with a challenge, with a call to go out and do something more invasive and more exciting in our job. And we might be disappointed. We will always be disappointed. We live in a very broken world. So things can let us down and disappoint us. And in the midst of being called to work and to work harder and to work better, we need to be reminded again and again that we should find rest. Because Ecclesiastes throws, throws words to this. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. So he's got, he's got a contrast here, and we'll point out in a minute. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool who folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So he's contrasting somebody who works way too hard, is a workaholic, and is exhausted and has extreme envy of his neighbor's lawn and his neighbor's boat, and he's working too hard, and he's working himself to death. And then you have the other person, the fool, who never works and is wasting away. He's left to eat himself, essentially, is what he's saying in this picture. So he's saying, these are the two contrasts. Don't go there. Rather, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Find rest. We will fall short. We will disappoint those around us. We will disappoint ourselves. We we will find ourselves in a working environment that we're stuck in, that we can't get out of because of our financial situation that we're in. And Jesus calls out to us and says, find rest. The poet says, find rest. 
And there's no greater reminder for us to step into labor than with this verse out of Matthew, Jesus' call. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we find rest, we can work hard. And Jesus is saying, come to me, find your worth in me, find your value in me. I don't have high expectations for you because I have accomplished the perfect work on your behalf. I love you. I want you to rest in me. And as you rest, then go and work hard. Go and serve out of your strengths. Go and serve others. Go and serve your work but always come back and find rest in me. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated as you venture out, as you push in, but find your rest in me. That's where we need to go. So in the midst of our life, in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of a job that sucks, that we're struggling with, it's overwhelming, serve out of your strengths, serve others, and serve your work well out of the rest that you find in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I do pray for that for us as we maybe get the day off tomorrow. Maybe some of us actually have to work really hard tomorrow. Uh, But as we go and think about our jobs and we think about where we're headed into, some of us really hate our jobs right now. Some of us just hate moments of our jobs. But I pray that you will give us the ability to serve out of our strengths, find ways to do that, to serve others well, to serve the work well, but that we will ultimately find rest in you because you accomplished the perfect work on our behalf. May we go empowered and restful. In your name, amen.